0: Welcome to Strings Attached, the latest podcast on the PointCast Network. Strings Attached is a new podcast that focuses on us. This show checks in on us, where we are, and recognizes that we need and want to be connected to other human beings, but we don't always know how to make or keep those connections alive. Some of it is because of our past traumas, hangups, or self-taught habits that may cause people to back away from us or us from them. And for others, it may be due to being squirreled away for the last two years as we've dealt with being in a pandemic. Whatever your reason, on this podcast, you will discover that first, you are not alone. But more importantly, you will discover there may be another way, a healthier way, to make the connections we all seek. On today's show, we will learn about one of the most misunderstood and underrated things that affects all of our lives, trauma. We will find out what trauma is, how it impacts us, and learn how to navigate our healing. I'm your host, Sasha Estrella-Jones, and with me on today's show is therapist Deandra Bobby Walker. Bobby is an advanced practice clinical social worker whose practice is rooted in psychoanalysis with a specific focus on attachment theory. Bobby, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Sasha. Thank you so much for making time. Before we get into trauma, I have to ask, what made you want to become a therapist in the first place?
1: Yeah, um, there are running jokes about therapists becoming therapists because um, we grew up in environments where no one else wanted to go to therapy. And we this is our way of sort of fixing or getting, you know, fixing the people in our lives that um, as children, we couldn't really get to be healthier or get to be more adaptive. Um, And some people sort of joke that it's our way of regaining control. Um, I think for me, a little bit more of what it was is I grew up in a, I grew up in Guyana in South America um, in a biracial multicultural home um, and always sort of felt like an outsider in whatever circle I was in. And so that I think sort of put me into this, position as an observer or like an onlooker. And so I became like really familiar with paying attention to subtle cues or paying attention to different subtleties in communication or behaviors. Um, and I also think that there were aspects of my life that were really unpredictable. And I think I developed these sorts of ways of checking in on like the emotional undercurrents of a particular interaction or event, um, as a way of, you know, sort of having information and being able to navigate my world. Um, and I think like that skill sort of sets me up to be able to pick up on these really subtle things that patients are bringing into, into therapy or that people are experiencing. Um, and so I think it's something that I've just like been honing since I was like four years old or before I was even like verbal, um, and I think after a while, I just realized I should probably try to make a living off of this skill. So <laughs> thank you for being honest
0: in that. I heard you and I'm like, hmm, should I also consider being a therapist? <laughs> but no, yeah, a lot of what I said is spot on trying to figure out me also being raised in a biracial, multiracial home, trying to figure out who you are amongst it all and never really fitting fully in any group. And that in internally what it does to you, especially as a child. Um, you know, clearly we've already used this word multiple times in talking trauma. And I feel like it's become sort of a buzzword. You know, we'll see it on social media. Our friends talk about it. But sometimes I'm like, hold up, pause. Do we all as a collective understand what trauma is? So as a person who is you know, this is
1: your field, you are studied in this. What exactly is trauma? Yeah. Good, uh, important frame, uh, framing of this. Um, because I, I agree this word has sort of entered into mainstream consciousness and I think for good reason. And I think ultimately it's a good thing, but it does sort of muddy the definitions. Um, clinically uh or you know i i think just to put a definition on it the best maybe understanding of it is that it's an overwhelming terrifying shocking experience that people have that they are not able to integrate into their understanding of the world or of themselves and that results in long term or lasting effects on their well-being their physical well-being their emotional their relational well-being and so it's, it's, it's highly stressful events that people are not able to sort of fit into their, fit into a cohesive sort of narrative about the world and make sense of. And so spend a lot of time feeling really disconnected or just sort of trying to suppress that disconnect actually, you know, rather than try to sort of integrate it into their lives, um, but it also has these biological and physiological effects as well that are also very real and, you know, don't really rely on cognition or the ability to make a story. They are just physiological and chemical effects of trauma as well. So by that definition, it seems like a lot of
0: things could be traumatic. It You know, I think myself even, I may think, okay, these things are traumatic, but with other people, and let me be specific, People who have different privileges talk about something being traumatic. I'm like, honey, please, that's not trauma. But what you're saying is it's really about the individual's perception of what is scary or fearful or throws them off from their daily. Did I understand that correctly?
1: Yes, it is really subjective. I would say that there's very rarely, you know, th- this question always sort of c- comes up Um, you know, how come some people are not traumatized by a, an event that multiple people shared, right? Whereas another person goes on to really develop PTSD. It is, it is subjective and it really it depends on your the social context in which you are living and the sort of support networks you have and your ability to make sense of that experience and people to help you make sense of that experience. I think that if we get into the, like, my trauma is bigger than your trauma, it's a sort of this horrible zero-sum game where I think people are kind of left actually having a lot less empathy and compassion for other people and even for themselves um, when we're sort of comparing traumas. I think across the board, like, you know, I listen to patients tell me about, Things And I never once, I never once think like, oh, that's not that big of a deal or, oh, like other people have it worse. I never find myself thinking that. I, I often find myself deeply empathetic and deeply sort of concerned for that person, even though other people might hear it and say, well, this other person I know has been through worse. So I, I, I sort of very rarely am like, oh, yeah, that's not that bad.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you. It does become somewhat of, as the term I've heard, oppression Olympics, which we are going to steer away from. But when we're talking about this, you had mentioned in your first response that it's something people often suppress. So let's talk further on that. If trauma is inherently this painful thing, why should we even talk about trauma? Why should we do the work of trauma? What do I have to gain from doing trauma work?
1: Yeah, good question, too. So after a traumatic event because we are humans who need to make sense of our world and we need to see patterns we need to assess for safety we need to form relationships and relationships are also based off of patterns and we need to organize our world that's how we that's that's what we do and we have parts of our brain that are are wired to do that to make sense of patterns to be predictive And when a trauma occurs, which is this inherently unpredictable thing, and it doesn't make it feels arbitrary, it feels random, It you know, and we can't fit it into, like I said, a narrative or a story, then we become really disoriented. And a couple of things happen. One is that we, one, one thing that could happen is that we generalize the sort of conclusions that come about after a trauma. So, and and then this might just not be an appropriate thing to do. So, you know, you get into a really bad car accident and that was a traumatic experience for you. And now all cars are unsafe. Well we know that cars, you know, are millions of people drive cars every day. And for the most part, they're a reliable and safe way to get around. But for that tra- like traumatized person, cars just represent danger and death, right? They're not able to sort of assess risk in the same way. And so they're not able to go on with their lives and get into a car to be able to go to work or do the things that they need to do. Right. And so if you were a person who needed to get around by a car and now you're terrified of cars, that's going to just impact your ability to do the things that you need to do to move on with your life. Right. And so that's, that's a sort of, that's one example. And another is within relationships. If we have complex trauma, which refers to traumas that are, they're varying experiences of trauma. So different kinds of trauma, but they're often of a very interpersonal and invasive nature. And so here you're, you're thinking of trauma inflicted upon you by a caregiver um, or someone who's, you know, you're supposed to trust to take care of you, such as like, so childhood sexual assaults. Um, domestic violence, that sort of thing, or witnessing domestic violence, or, you know, being abused by your parent, that sort of trauma affects people's, that traumatized person's ability to engage in relational patterns that are healthier. So instead of seeing a person who loves them And being able to trust that person and think that that person is good and won't hurt them or won't abandon them, that person just sees their partner as about to abandon them, you know, about to leave, going to betray them, going to hurt them. And so they then start reacting to that person in a way that like creates unhealthy dynamics or, you know, makes the relationship feel shitty or toxic even. And so that's a generalized sort of statement, right? The world is not safe. I cannot trust anyone. I'm a bad person at my core, right? Like these are the sorts of generalized conclusions that sort of can come out of trauma. And that when we extend them to um, situations where it's just not appropriate, right? Or it's not based in reality, then we're not really living our lives. We're just in this sort of trance, right? Where we're we're just out of time and out of body. We're, we're not present. We're not actually experiencing other people. We're not experiencing ourselves. We're just responding to a threat that has since passed.
0: Almost as if you are trapped in whatever traumatic thing happened, unless you do the work of unpacking that trauma, It's like a replay button. You get to rewind and replay, rewind and replay. And everything that happens, you see from that lens, regardless, you know, of if it's even really related, if it's even real. And it's crazy because I'm saying this and this isn't a pleasant thing to say, but it seems it's not your fault that you were traumatized it's no one's fault you know no one deserves bad things to happen to them however it is your responsibility to do the work of unpacking that so you can really live the best life and also not traumatize those around you and i think in that i would like to imagine that there's hope you know if there is someone who's listening right now who's either never done therapy or I know personally there are times where I've done therapy and then I've left. Cause I'm like, yeah, no, just no, just no. I resist it. I don't want to do it. I make excuses. What would you say about the hope aspect? Like for, for those people, why should they get back into therapy or why should they start therapy in the first place?
1: I absolutely believe that there's hope. I'm like, I think my, primary sort of role as a therapist is to hold hope for people. So no matter where they are, I have to believe that like people can get better and feel better and sort of live the lives that are in alignment with like their values and the things that they want and that, you know, that are fulfilling to them. Um, and I think with trauma, yes, of course there's hope. I do think that there are ways to heal from from trauma, even if, you know, it, it feels like that experience will never leave you or those experiences, because often we're also talking about complex or chronic trauma. It's sort of rare that we're talking about single incident or acute traumas, right? We're talking about like complex traumas that happen over time that really deeply change a person, but you can also, you know, you can also learn to change, right? So the Mm. brain is really incredibly plastic and pliable and, if the brain has learned to sort of, if neural networks have learned to fire in a certain way, they can also like learn to fire in different ways. If you attach them to new experiences and you sort of get, you, you have uh, lived realities that are, are different and healing. I think that psychotherapy um, and talk therapy in general offers new ways of processing different experiences and understanding them and alerting you to situations where um, it's possible that you might be acting in a reactive or sort of triggered way. But there's other types of therapy too, that I think work really well in combination with talk therapy, such as mindfulness, right? Where, so yeah, yeah, you're alerted to the fact that like, when you're around this one person, you Tend to have this physiological triggered response, but what are you going to do about it? Being aware of it, it doesn't necessarily fix it, right? So something like mindfulness, right? Or a practice of yoga or um, tai chi or something where you're very in your body and you're learning to sort of regulate your nervous system, those are really helpful tools for finding new ways to respond to situations that are taxing or stressful. Um, And so I really like the practice of uh, psycho, like talk therapy and psychoanalytic and insight oriented therapies in addition to mindfulness and, you know, self-compassion work, which is also kind you know, rooted in mindfulness as well. Um, But there are also other forms of treatment such as EMDR or brain spotting. Uh, What is
0: that? I have never heard (laughs) of either one of those two things. And I've been in therapy for a decade, so... Yeah,
1: so These are relatively new, um, types of trauma therapy. Um, and I don't know that much about brain spotting. Um, a lot of my colleagues do, but I wasn't trained in that, but I was trained in EMDR and EMDR stands for eye movement, reprocessing, reprocessing and desensitization. And so it's a bi-hemispheric, um, way to connect the different parts of the brain and, through the use of eye movements, bilateral eye movements. So eye movements going from left to right or um, bilateral tapping or touching. So connecting the the left side of your body with the right side of your body and thus the right side of your brain with the left side of your brain. So EMDR uh, is a way to connect different parts of the brain um, that are often in trauma disconnected. When a traumatic event occurs, our reptilian brain, that's the first part of our brain that was developed. It's at the bottom of our our brain's um, it sort of takes over. That's our fight flight response, right? Uh That's the part of our brain. When
0: you're just surviving, you're not really living. You're not thriving. That's the part that gets activated. Yes.
1: And And that, that part, when it takes over, right, when the alarm system in your brain, the amygdala takes over, it disconnects from the frontal lobe. It disconnects from the part of your brain that's responsible for cognition, that's responsible for assessing risk that's responsible for connecting with other people, right? And so healing from trauma involves like reconnecting these sort of neural networks, reconnecting your brain. Um, you can't think your way out of trauma. You can't think your way out of a, a an embodied physiological response to something. You can only calm your nervous system down and, and, and sort of learn to soothe your internal alarm system. And that's what practices like yoga and mindfulness do. In addition to talk therapy, which alerts you to the moments when you might need to do those things, right? So thank you for
0: that, Bobby. I'm gonna leave us there because what our audience doesn't know until now is that- The next show that we have is going to really hone in and focus on the physiology of trauma. So how we hold that in our body. And the final show in this series is going to be talking about a mindfulness technique known as breath work. So, so audience, please stay tuned. I want to say thank you again, Bobby. You've taught me things I didn't know in this episode, and I appreciate you taking the time out of your day and your morning to be here. Uh, we want and encourage our listeners to continue this discussion through our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram and at Pointcaster. This podcast is brought to you in part by Eliad Productions, a studio for podcasters and musicians, and Pointcast News. To listen to any of our podcasts, please go to our website at pointcastnews.com or visit us at Apple Podcasts. Also, be sure to like and follow us on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. Hope you can join us next time. And remember, we are all works in progress trying to navigate the human experience. Be gentle with yourself, stay blessed, and take care. With love always, your host, Sasha Estrella-Jones.